Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast. This episode, we talk about everything Pascal, a high-level look at early adoption and the cost of being an enthusiast. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McKay. Dennis, it's July here in the Hardware Asylum's lab, and I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about what's hot in the enthusiast market today, and that is the 10X NVIDIA GTX video cards. Yes, that new GPU based on Pascal. It was a a topic that we discussed in length kind of as a speculation during the launch, and since that time, a lot of details have come out, cards have been reviewed. And I believe we have one right next to us that we can talk about a little bit later. Indeed. So let's talk a little bit about that because in May, the 1080 came out on about May 27th. But of course, like all NVIDIA launches, finding a 1080X has been a bit of a Pokemon Go game. Yes. uh, They've been flying off the shelf for various reasons. But shortly thereafter, a lesser performing and lesser costing version came out. That's right. So in June on about the 10th, so about a month ago as we're recording this, the 1070 came out. And the 1070 is usually, for me, the high value point card because you don't get the cutting edge, but you don't pay the cutting edge price. Right. And that was a card that a lot of enthusiasts were looking at in terms of, yes, basically price per performance, you know, and it wasn't also sticker shock. Whereas with the top of the line card, you know, they're always close to that $650, $700 mark. Whereas the 70 series was always very, you know, it's pocket change for enthusiasts. Well, and the interesting thing about the price point is the 1070 is really at the point where it's almost half the price of the 1080, which makes the SLI 1070 an attractive alternative. Now, it's not quite. It's about 100, 150 to more than a 1080 to have two 1070s. But time will tell whether that becomes the enthusiast choice. But also, this week, as we're recording this, the 1060 has been announced with a release date of July 19th. And this was the answer card for something from the Red Camp, which we're not going to really go into detail on. But uh, there is a lot of speculation about this card as of we are recording this. And then one major disappointment. Well, we may have to come back to that a little bit. But the 1060, most interestingly enough, is being called a mid-range card, which leads us to believe that if you look at the 1080 as the current enthusiast card, obviously, Mm -hmm. then the 1070 is kind of the... I guess, high-end card, and then the 1060 is the mid-range card, then that clearly shows that we can look forward to at least one lower-end card, maybe a 1050. Yeah, possibly a 1050. And then um, obviously if NVIDIA follows suit with what they've normally done in about a year, we'll see the tie editions, which will introduce more cores, probably more memory, higher speeds, and uh, basically everything that we're missing. Fantastic. I think that that is going to drive the price even further. But maybe what makes the 10X series so hot for me is the price per performance across the entire line is fantastic, especially when we compare it to like the Titan X, for example. Yeah, well, Titan X was $1,000. So, <laughs> um, But it was also a card that was designed for the professional market. It wasn't really designed for gamers, so it had a lot of um, uh, GPU compute capabilities that were removed from the consumer level. Well, that's a good point because that did drive price. But as an enthusiast, it's hard not to want to go for just the top most expensive NVIDIA card. Mm. Fortunately, uh, it's not in the budget for me. (laughs) 
Yeah, me neither, actually. So let's talk a little bit about what's made this 10X series so hot. Maybe you can tell us what has changed since the 9X series, at least high level. High level? Well, we can kind of go back to some of the specs. Obviously, we have the Pascal cores, what, 7.2 billion transistors. It's also using the new Micron GDR5X memory that's clocked at a, what, 10 gigs? Yeah, that's impressive, although that's only available if you spring for the 1080. Yeah, it's only on the 1080. If you go down to the 1070, it has basically the same core, but we are using GDR5, and it's clocked a little bit lower, but it also has the memory speed at 8 gigs instead of the 10. And that's a pretty important difference if you're looking for a reason to justify that additional price, that, what is it, about $300 bump there. Well, yeah, so we got core clocks and base clocks, um... 1080s at 1600, but it'll boost up to 1733. Although, as we know with the NVIDIA boost technology, it is very dependent on the environment. So if you have a very cool case, you know, a case that was vented well or in an environment that's, you know, you got the air conditioner turned way down, it will boost a lot higher. Uh, The same with the 1070, we have a base clock of 1500 and a boost of 1683, it looks like. And those obviously change when you get to a partner card that might be overclocking out of the box. Yeah, and I know we can expect a lot of those, but at the moment, they seem to be a little bit rare in the environment. In fact, I couldn't find when I was shopping a 10X that I could purchase on the market with the exception of Founders Edition cards. And that is something new and different about the 10X system that we talked a little bit about in our last thing. Yeah, and I I thought that the uh, the Founders Edition was going to be like the the unlocked chip, kind of like the K Edition that could be brought onto partner boards and uh, overclocked to your heart's content. It turns out that it's really just a reference card branded from NVIDIA that they are using to kind of set a price ceiling for the partner cards, which yeah. is... That's something new, isn't it? I don't think I've heard of them trying to do that before. And the, the choice of Founders Edition instead of reference card is, I think, an interesting change of maybe vision. It's kind of hard to speculate because I haven't talked with NVIDIA directly about this. You know, looking back on, you know, buying speakers for your home theater, you know, you have the Bose system where Bose would dictate price. Uh, Apple would also dictate price. So depending on, it didn't matter what store you went to, you always paid the same price for this particular product. Well, it's worked well for McDonald's. Yeah, it has. And I, I think NVIDIA is kind of doing the same thing. You know, you have the promise of the Founders Edition having probably the highest silicon. So maybe they're bending the chips and those are the ones that are going on their cards. Right. But the board is still a reference design card. So that's a bit reminiscent of old, old ATI where they produced all the, the boards themselves and then sent them out to the partners and they put on their own coolers and tweak the BIOS a little bit. But we also have board partners like EVJ, for instance, that has released, what, eight different versions of the 1080? <laughs> Seems like a lot. Yeah, so we have um, a 1080, just kind of a base model with one of their one of their coolers on it, not the ACX cooler. Now, we should also point out that EVGA, like most partners, also released a Founders Edition card that's just branded EVGA. Right. All of them have that. But the, again, the Founders Edition is the base reference card using the reference cooler. It might as well just say NVIDIA on it. So. Oh, right. So yeah, we have uh, a base model GTX 1080 from EVGA with their own cooler. We have an ACX 3.0, basically the same clock. It's just a different cooler. Right, more efficient there. The dual fan, actually, it's a, it's a much nicer cooler. Yeah, and the price difference is 
$10. Hey, definitely an easy money trade there. Yeah. And we also have the Super Clock Gaming with ACX 3.0. We have an extra 100 megahertz on the base clock, and that's an extra $50. We get down into the For the Win DT Gaming. It has the same clock as the base model one above, but the board, I believe, is different. It has a larger VRM, VRM on mm-hmm. it. So more overclocking potential there mm-hmm. and more stability, most likely. And then we also have the For the Win Gaming, not DT. So maybe, you know, DT might be the reference board versus the For the Win Gaming is the upgraded one. Oh, that could be. Either way, um, the next For the Win is also has a higher clock of 1721, which is higher than the Gaming Super Clock Edition. And then the last one, oh, and by the way, the price on that one is 680 So we're getting up there a bit. And then the last one is the Founders Edition, and that one's selling for the NVIDIA price ceiling of $700. If you're an early adapter, it seems like the Founders Edition maybe is appealing to you. And I have to admit, it's a great-looking card in every instance I've seen. I mean, most reference cards have pretty lame cooling. I think it was the 700 series. Um, NVIDIA introduced this new cooler. It was an all-metal chassis with a, a window so you could see the the heat pipe cooling system that goes through it. This one is more of a, an angled version of that. So it's nothing really completely different. It's still a blower style. So it's venting out the back of the case. Uh, still has the same window, still has the same lighting effects. Well, I think some people prefer that because of the back blower, but most modern enthusiast cases breathe pretty well. And if they don't, they got a million fans going on. Yeah, exactly. And I actually like the cooler myself, but uh, I kind of wish that they would have changed it up a little bit maybe for the new launch and everything. But ACX 3.0 is really good. Um, The high-end ones have LED lighting effects on it. Oh, yeah. It has the upgraded cooler. It has the upgraded heat pipe. So we have a considerable amount of uh, cooling performance there. Yeah, and of course, you're going to get, if you go to the right company, a really solid warranty out of these things too, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, three years, and it's also transferable, from EVGA at least. The pricing on this page kind of brings up something that one of my contacts was talking to me about and how the Founders Edition is pretty much the price ceiling. So any partner card cannot cost more than that. Interesting. So that would explain a little bit of why, you know, we have the For the Win Gaming, which has an upgraded mother or upgraded board with a bigger VRM. And it's only $680, which is $10 shy of, or $20 shy of the Founders Edition. Well, and frankly, it'd be madness, I think, to get a Founders Edition over on For the Win or Classified or Strix or any of these high-end cards that have come out. Right. But the bad part is it really reduces the margins from the partners. And that might explain some of the shortage, because I think that partners have learned that they need to gauge the demand before they flood the market with these low-margin cards. Right. You know, going to Newegg, for instance, you know, we're talking a little bit about pricing here, but we have um, Asus GeForce 1080 8GB Strix OC Edition. Uh, this is the one card that's very similar to the EVGA Classified. It has a much larger VRM on it. I believe it's a taller card. It's got a triple slot cooler on it, similar to like the Zotac Edition. This one is $720 at Newegg. So I'm not sure if that's kind of like a, a new egg um, price gouging just because. Well, they know, are out of stock. They are out of stock. It's auto notify right now. But if that is the case, then, you know, chances are ASUS listed it at the price of the founder's edition. And then we have the early adopters tax on top of that. Well, I can tell you from experience that finding a 
10x card in the wild can be a bit of a hunt. I think we mentioned the Pokemon Go, and that's sort of an entertaining way of looking at it because, you know, I'm on the market for a 10x card. I'm moving up from a 970, a G1 edition, uh, which is the Gigabyte's uh, nice gaming card. And the difference in performance, I think, is is worth mentioning. And you've talked a lot about clock speeds and core boosts, but we haven't really talked about the advantages of that Pascal architecture. Well, with Pascal, the biggest thing that Jensen talked about during the launch was power efficiency. And the way he saw it was when you become more power efficient, you become more powerful. It becomes a, a faster card. In terms of clock speed, we have higher clocks than we did on the Maxwell chips. Um, it uses considerably less power. Maxwell was at a TDP of close to 200 watts, and this one's down to 150, I believe. We'll have to look that one up for sure. But the the idea here is that it's becoming more efficient. So now you can buy this video card. You don't have to have a 700-watt power supply in your system. You, now you can get away with like maybe a 600-watt. The biggest draw for why people want this car is not necessarily from the power efficiency, but the fact that we have a quantum leap in performance. So if we go back looking at like Fermi and Maxwell and some of those other cards, the progression of performance was very incremental. It was just, there was no reason to upgrade to the next generation because it, you could overclock your previous card and get that same performance. With this one, they're talking about, um, you know, a GTX 1080 being as fast as two 980s in SLI which, you know, from a power standpoint, that's a lot of power. That's also a lot of performance from those two cards in the SLI. And you can get that with one GPU. And that's kind of unheard of. Normally, if you SLI two of the older cars, that's still faster than the newest flagship that came out. The fact that we have the same pricing that we would normally see from a new card release, plus double, sometimes triple the performance in certain instances, of course, that's why people are really buying these cars and why they want to, you know, ditch everything to have and get one. Well, and I've seen some people talking about that the VR stuff is driving the cards. Oh, yeah, there's a bit of VR. Um, you know, Oculus came out. Uh, we have the other one, the HTC or whatever. The Vibe or Vive or whatever it is. Yeah, honestly, I haven't bought into the whole VR stuff yet. Yeah, it still feels too soon. But I can see that. But also the multiple 4K monitors since 4k monitors have come so drastically down is another great reason to adapt yeah and you need to have lots of memory and lots of memory bandwidth to be able to drive that many pixels and still stay within a playable frame rate Uh, obviously you can't crank up a game all the way in certain instances and still have that run at 4k at a decent frame rate but you know that's the adapt adaptation of gamers you know you can kick it down a little bit or you can you know reduce some of the visuals so long-time listeners will probably know that Dennis tends to be a bit of a bleeding-edge guy, so he is patiently waiting for these high-end cards to be a little more available before he jumps into a 1080 classified or for the win or, or something. But I am not that way. No. You actually went out and bought yourself an MSI GTX 1070 Gaming X, I believe, right? I did. And it was not easy to decide or to track down, I should point out. Well, yeah, you had to go out of state. <laughs> yes, I did. Have price alerts on your phone and be there first in line sort of thing. So it's kind of an interesting story. But before I get to the story, I want to point out that 
I wanted to get a 1080X because, frankly, at the MSRP for a Founders Edition 1080, it seemed very reasonable compared to a Titan or even the the 980 Ties initial marketing prices. They just seemed high for what you were getting. Yeah, they did. But these felt like, especially when you look at some of the early projections and the graphics, I guess, performance numbers that were being released by NVIDIA, which I can't be the only one because, boy, howdy, tracking one of these things was a major bummer. But to be honest with you, I didn't really want to get a 1080. I felt like I kind of had to. Fortunately, in the amount of time it took me to track down a card, the aftermarket 1070s started hitting the market. And with a lot of timing and luck, I managed to get myself to a position where I had some cards in stock. No 1080s, but three or four different 1070s to choose from. Well, and you can't get a 1070 or 1080 here locally in the Boise region, so. Yeah, and online it's a it's a bit of a crapshoot too on whether you can catch one in stock and if you're being price gouged. Oh, yes, of course. So you said I picked up an MSI GTX 1070 Gaming X edition card. Yeah, with the twin Frozier 5, 6. Yeah, 6. So I have the card here, and I'm, I haven't actually seen it yet, except for in pictures. Yeah, well, uh, before we recorded, he gave me the box, and it was still in plastic wrap. <laughs> and I was like, no, you have to take the plastic off. This is, this is your baby. So I should point out the reason that I haven't seen the card yet. We'll get to in a minute, but essentially, I still have to do a little bit of legwork before I can put it into my PC. Oh, yeah. So anyway, I'm going to pull this puppy out, but while I do it, I want to talk a little bit about what makes this particular card my choice out of the three or four that I had to choose from. Well, I am pulled up the page on Newegg here, and we got 8 gigs of memory. We got a core clock of 1531 with a boost of 1721, uh, 1920 CUDA cores, which is normal. And everything else is pretty much similar to what you would expect from a, a base model um, 1070. It's so, a bit hot clocked. Um, twin Frozier, it looks like it has a backplate too. Yeah, it's a beast. It That's does sexy. have a backplate, and it's a pretty backplate. Yeah, it's uh, aluminum plastic. It's metal. Good. It's metal. And that is more common in this generation than before, although check with your manufacturer. Yeah, well, the Founders Edition is plastic. Now, one thing that's important to note in general about these, and there's a fancy sticker on the card that shows it, is that part of that advantage of efficiency that you're talking about is these cards, in general, across the line, the 10X line, are designed so that under, I think, 60% on this card, the fans don't turn on. Yes, that is correct. A lot of the the cards that have the, the triple slot coolers, the super loud ones, I mean, not loud ones, but super big coolers, the fans don't turn on. You can go through like four hours of gaming and that heatsink has absorbed all the heat from the GPU to the point where it doesn't need to turn on. So first impression, I should get that out of the way, is it's much bigger than I expected. Taller. It's taller. That um, mm-hmm. That is interesting. I wonder if this one actually has a different VRM in it as well. I think that it's very likely. And the reason for that is part of the reason that I chose this card, and that is that this one features a boosted core clock and is one of the very few that has boosted memory clock factory. Oh, nice. Well, I'm looking at the card right now, being the overclocker that I am. Uh, we got an 8-pin and a 6-pin power on this bad boy, so yeah, we got we got some good stuff going on here. A great-looking card. I'm almost embarrassed to say that that Zero Frozer 6 uh, is going to see very little action from me. 
Yeah. Well, you also have a, well, we got to have a water block because your system is now water cooled. But if you haven't checked out the build for my computer, the build log is also available out there. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute and how we're going to incorporate this card. But right now I went to Micro Center in Denver, which is amazing, amazing, like a fries. It's almost like the Holy Grail for those of us that don't have easy access to a real computer store. Well, yeah. And people that have a micro center like back east and stuff and like in the Boston, Cambridge area and stuff like that, you know, me saying I don't have a micro center, they think that I'm living in the third world. (laughs) That's very true. And Fry's is the same way. So I set some price alerts and I had intended to go down there and, and purchase a 1080 Founders Edition and was not super happy about it because it's not so budget friendly as we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. And when I could not get one, I started looking at the 1070s, which is normally where I'd be. And I should take a step back and point out that I never purchase a card during the release ever because it's just not budget friendly. Well, this is we're still in the release. And I also never, well, maybe almost never, upgrade to the next incremental. That would be from a 970 to a 1070. Normally, I like to skip a generation completely because that's usually smart. Or at least wait until the generation is announced for the next one, which brings these prices down. Right. But as we said before, we have a generational performance increase. So, you know, that's kind of moot. And it made me eat my words because, yeah, at 439 it's a lot for a not top tier video card, but the price per performance puts it in 980, 980 tie performance land. So you really are getting essentially a top tier card. Oh yeah. Well, and the nice thing about this particular card and the, at the price point that it's in, these cards aren't going to go away. These are right now flooding the market. We have a lot of these particular GamerX cards. For instance, right now on Newegg, you can get this card for the same price that you bought it at Micro Center. Yes, and I should point out that Micro Center had it on sale for MSRP. Yeah. So they are aware of what's going on. And I should also point out that while I was in Micro Center, they had 10 of these cards in stock, and they moved four of them just in the 30 minutes I was there. And the salesman told me that the folks that are local that had their alerts, every time they unbox them, they flood and sell them out same day. In the last segment, we talked a lot about the Pascal GTX 1080 and the early adopters tax of going down to Micro Center and battling email alerts and watching stock fly off the shelves. And really the the cost of trying to be an early adopter. But I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the cost to the enthusiast for being an early adopter for technology such as the NVIDIA Pascal. Oh, do tell, do tell. So when I was in LA last week, I got to talk with my contacts a bit about, you know, some of the new products that are coming out. And one of them that I am looking forward to is the 1080 Classified. Oh, yeah. And from what I've been doing in terms of research and, you know, other reviews that have already been out before this podcast was recorded, I'm kind of seeing a trend in how these uh, these cards kind of have a clock ceiling. Oh, yeah, that's news. So with the Founders Edition, for instance, during the during the presentation at DreamHack, Jensen was showing a, a demonstration, like a PhysX demonstration. And they had the 
EVGA Precision X up in the corner so you could see what the clock speed was. And it was maxed out at 2100 megahertz. So that's why a lot of people felt that that was the default boost clock. Well, we have later found out that they were running Founders, Founders Edition cards. And that led a lot of people to believe that the 2100 megahertz was either the boost clock or the standard clock. And that, you know, NVIDIA Pascal was going to be like this amazing card. It turns out that the Founders Edition is, seems to be the only card to clock that high. And some of the partner boards, like the For the Winds and some of them from MSI, like your GamerX that we talked about, will probably top out at around 1900 to 2000 megahertz. So there is a uh, kind of a clock ceiling. Now, this clock ceiling is not necessarily like, you know, the fastest it'll run on air cooling, but rather like the clock ceiling that we saw in the uh, Intel Sandy Bridge, where it didn't matter what you did to the motherboard, however much voltage you put in there, how much extra frequency you put in there, it would not go above, you know, 4.7 gigahertz or 5.2 gigahertz or whatever. It would just stop right there. So do we need to look for maybe the tie edition to be a, the K edition, for example, that will give us, or black edition, the unlockables? Well, that, that's the hope at least. But uh, as it stands right now, it seems like these chips are, they're locked somehow. And either NVIDIA did it on the silicon, or maybe it's in the BIOS somewhere, which it, if it's in the BIOS, somebody will eventually tear that apart and figure out, oh, hey, well, here's how you add more voltage and here's how you can get more frequency out of your cards. And out of a curiosity, I went out to HardwareBot to see if anyone is setting records using a 1080 or a 1070. And all of the scores there, and there was only like maybe a handful of them, they were all around 2050, close to 2100. Most of the scores were set with a, uh, a CPU overclock and then however fast the video card would go. There was no video cards on LN2. There was a couple of them on water. Normally, EVGA has something from Vince that has some amazing LN2 overclock. None of that was there either, which huh. kind of tells me that this clock ceiling is, it's hard. It's like you can't get past this regardless of what you do. So like the Strix cards that have these larger VRMs that are designed for overclocking, probably a bit overkill to get Pascal to clock the way that you would expect. But they're putting them in there, I believe, because people want that oh yeah because you think that you want the yeah. best cooling that you can get especially efficiency wise and these cards are all about efficiency mm -hmm. they are and you know the founders edition has what i think uh, like a six or an eight phase uh, vrm on it already so it's pretty beefy you know you got a 14 phase from like a classified or a strix card yeah i think even this one has a 10 yeah it's it's a bit overkill and hopefully that is there for a reason so maybe when somebody figures out how to really overclock the card, then these these cars that have this hardware will be able to take advantage of that. It, it just seems odd that, you know, it's been a couple of months since the release. Uh, these manufacturers have had the chips way before that. So somebody should have figured out how to overclock them by now. Yeah, especially the, the usual suspects, if you will, that are the factory overclockers for these folks. Mm -hmm. um, the other cost to the enthusiast is in terms of SLI. Okay. So we have the GTX 1060 that's coming out. Not many people have seen cards yet, but it's also been officially announced from NVIDIA that the 1060 will not support SLI. What? It doesn't have any SLI fingers on the top. That is interesting. It's not uncommon for NVIDIA to do that with low-end cards. I mean, we've had 
cards in the past where it only had one set of SLI fingers on it. So he could do just two card SLI and some of like, what was that? the 710s or something like that, the really super low-end ones, didn't have SLI at all. Yeah, but they're positioning the 1060 as a mid-range card. Without SLI, that just seems, that seems silly. It seems like an oversight on somebody's part. Or NVIDIA pushing the fact that, hey, we are the performance kings and we don't want you to run more than one card. Well, or pay the money and get a better card. Yeah, pay the money and get a better card. That was always kind of the message that, hey, you want three-way SLI? Buy a card that does three-way SLI, and we will actually support it. That also brings up an interesting point about the 1070 and 1080 in terms of SLI support. So at launch, there wasn't a lot of um, news about how SLI was going to be supported. At DreamHack, they also they announced the high-bandwidth bridges. And if you looked at the reverse side of that, it took both of the SLI fingers on the top of the card. I saw that, and they're pretty. And they're pretty, and they're hard bridges, and they're, they have a lot of bandwidth between them because they're not flexible and whatnot. But since it used both of the fingers, that means that you can only run two cards in SLI. It physically can't use that high bandwidth bridge with more than two cards. Oh. Because the way SLI worked was that it... it I'm going to pull up this card and show... So nobody at home will be able to see this, but it would run one ribbon connector from the first bridge to the first bridge on the next card. Right. And then the second bridge on that second card to the second bridge on the third card. And then you would have to take the uh, open bridges between the two and then lace it back across so that it made a big S. So that's how you did three-way SLI. Or if you had a hard bridge, you could just drop it on top and it'd be fine. Well, with the high bandwidth bridges, you can't do that. And originally, NVIDIA said, well, if you want to run more than two cards, you can download a key from us that will go and flash something on the BIOS for these cards and then allow you to run more than two cards. Oh, wow. That's kind of big brother. Using the, yeah, and you'd have to use a, an old school bridge. You couldn't use a high bandwidth bridge. Lately, that's been changed. The way I understand it is that they're just allowing you to run more than one card but they are not supporting it in the driver. So <laughs> yeah, it, so what good is that? Yeah, what good is that? Exactly. So the only applications that will support more than two cards in SLI are benchmarks. So you might be able to run it in Firestrike. You can run it in Catzilla. You can run it in Unigen. Uh, and there's a couple more. But in games, it's not supported. So it will either disable that third card that's running, or it will just, it won't enable or something. I'm not sure exactly how that works. But again, that's kind of Big Brother saying, hey, you can't run more than this amount of cards with our particular driver. And that was, um, what was it, the GTX 770? It had two fingers on the top, but they only allowed you to run three-way SLI. If you put a fourth card in there, it would never activate. So it's kind of the same thing. Well, very interesting and a bit of an odd change, although I have to admit that the number of folks that are running more than two video cards has got to be very, very small. So maybe that's another return on investment discussion. Yeah, a bit. I see it as NVIDIA's trying to, again, flex their muscles, be big brother, but they're also trying to save cost because they are expelling developer resources to support a driver for four-way SLI, for instance, in certain games, but maybe less than a half of a percent of the population is running four-way SLI in that particular game. And then after two cards, it's always been a diminishing returns. 
yes, it'd be faster, but it's not 50% faster. Now it's only 30% faster of that 50% that you had before. It, it makes sense from an economic standpoint. And, you know, honestly, I'm an enthusiast, right? I've only run one video card in my main system ever. The only time I've run more than one card was when I was benchmarking. And of those, I've run four-way SLI once. Well, you have to admit that if you have an enthusiast-level video card, you're going to handle pretty much anything that you throw at it in normal day-to-day -day applications and games and, well, I can't even think of anything that you shouldn't be able to handle with a top-end card. Right. Well, and with Pascal being so fast, you could run just one card, like a 1080, spend the bucks on it. It'll run everything there, plus VR, plus 4K, whereas before you might have had to have two 980s in SLI to do that exact same task. So it makes sense. I understand it. I'm still kind of upset about it because it should be an option. It should be allowed to be done. But the fact that they're not supporting it leads you know game developers not to support it. Benchmark people will support it because they want to see what their benchmarks do. And that's the whole reason of benchmarking and overclocking. But for that small segment, that's, you know, 30, 40 people around the world, it, you know, it makes sense, but I still don't like it. I think it sucks. Well, that's the cost of being an enthusiast, at least with the 10X series. You got to play by the NVIDIA rules, it sounds like. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, maybe something from the Red Camp will bring that back. But, you know, the impact of this is not necessarily to the enthusiast, but also to like motherboard manufacturers, for instance. So we have boards that were designed for four way SLI. Well, with 10 series, now you only need two way SLI. So how is that going to change the board layouts and the way oh, that PCI Express lanes are done? Well, those are already not very easy to get. No, they're not. It does kind of open up some of that bandwidth for storage, but in the real world, how many NVMe drives do you need to have in a RAID to, you know, get really good performance from your storage subsystem? So it'll be interesting to see what happens and, you know, we'll give it a year and the dust will settle and we'll see where things go. And by then, maybe the ties will be out. And at that point, maybe they'll bring back four-way SLI as an option. Whole game has changed. Or who knows, maybe AMD will see an opening and put out a four-card configuration that challenges the dual-card NVIDIAs. Time will tell. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Google or like us on Facebook. This has been an Engineering Production, copyright 2016. Thanks for listening.